Drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Hello and welcome. Welcome back. It's Drive-by Cinema. Don't adjust your dials. It's season four. It's episode nine, by some methods of counting. And with me, my co-host Paul, who's fully fit and raring to go. And with me, my co-host Richard, who presumably is also somewhat fit and raring to go to. Um, about 80-90%. This is, of course, well this is the COVID lockdown podcast that refused to die and has now been going on so long that it has actually suffered a COVID lacuna, a pause, while I have COVID again wow. for a brief period. But this is the first time, last week was the first time I've ever tested positive for COVID, Paul. Is it really? The first time, yeah. Have you ever tested positive? Of course I have, yeah. Those two little lines. Three times now, yeah, yeah. We got zombified by COVID as a COVID lockdown movie review podcast. I mean, so, so, so... Comparing to how how you felt this past week and comparing how you felt before, you might have suspected you had COVID. Do you think you've had COVID before, Richard? I do, I do. But I think I had COVID before we even had tests. Oh, wow. I think I had COVID. Then, of course, we all started testing and I spent months and months peeing on those little sticks. Nothing. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> it's taken ages. I'll tell you one thing, though, that's different about this COVID from my other covid Mm-hmm. is this time I have lost my sense of smell. Oh, dear. Now, I don't know whether it's just like a normal... Can you taste anything? Everything's very bland because I can barely taste anything. Mm. I, I opened the coffee jar the other day yeah. to test. Stuck your Couldn't nose smell out. anything. Nothing. Yeah. Gone completely. Are, are, is your nose completely blocked or is it a loss of smell? No. I'm breathing... Yeah, this it's is a it. lot of smell. Is it. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, essentially, it's, re- it's fr- fried and rewired your, your, your brain. Yeah, so, oh, my God. Brain. But weirdly, you know, well, I mean, it's a form of retardation, isn't it, really? Thank you for your sensitive portrayal of my condition. Well, I, I had it for a long time. Mine has come back come very back? recently. Very, very recently. But until about three or four months ago, it was touch and go whether I could taste a hot chili con carne. The only thing I could taste was the hotness level, but I couldn't really taste any of the flavours in the chili con carne. Coffee, some days I could taste the coffee, other days it was a very dull flavour, a very, very dull flavour. Which, you know, coffee and chili con carne are both fairly intense levels of aromaticity, aren't they? So I don't know. I mean, it, the idea is it comes back gradually. It, it didn't. I plateaued with virtually no sense of taste. And just recently, I've been getting back... The perfumery of taste, like gooseberries and raspberries came back quite recently, that kind of thing. But they're all quite strong flavours that are coming back. So, yes, subtle flavours still don't exist for me. There you go. Something to look forward to, Rich. Oh, dear. Does that mean you didn't have COVID before, then? Probably. Well, maybe. No, I don't know. I mean, you were a bit of a gourmand, weren't you? So, for you, this might be a loss. This might be... No, well, I've already found a plus side, which is I'm able to use... Yeah. I'm I'm able to use fly spray vigorously without you know, caring to, to kill mosquitoes. Yeah, we, I can't smell it. It's amazing. I don't know now that I'm breathing in those heavy chemical <laughs> neurotoxins that flies so hate. I mean, for me, I, you know, I'm not fussy to, and I'm not a particularly refined eater, so it didn't really. I, I wouldn't say I derived you, a lot of Paul, joy. You, you do surprise me, Paul. I mean, I, in I a way, part, this podcast partly started by watching pictures of what you were eating during lockdown. I know exactly. 
I know exactly what kind of stuff you eat. And I'm sure that olives and ketchup or whatever, whatever it is you're eating, are I not affected by your lack of smell. I don't, I don't think I ate that ever. Maybe I did. There we go. I'm recovering. How have you been, Paul? What have you done with your week off while I've been convalescing? No, I was ill myself. So well, you're here, you're alive, and you're as rude as ever. So there has to be some, have to be some good things to be said, Richard. You're still in rude health in a certain stuff, weren't you? But you said you've been ill this week as well. Yes, with a mystery but, illness. Yeah, but not, nowhere near as ill as me, Paul. Well, I thought it was COVID and I tested it came out negative. Oh, here's what I learned about those home tests. False negatives. The sensitivity of those is only 50%. Wow. It's bad, isn't it? Now, on the, on the flip side, the specificity is about 97 So if you test positive with them... You're positive. You, you almost certainly have COVID. There's very little chance it's a false negative. Mm-hmm. But yeah... 50% sensitivity. It means if you have COVID, mm-hmm. only half the time will those tests trigger. It's Interesting, not good, it? is it? But I'm but, just saying, is the reason you got this because you had a very busy weekend organising a QED conference, Richard? I did have a busy weekend. I did burn were you the pressing, candles. Were you pressing the flesh? And... There was lots of people to meet. There was lots of things to do. It was exciting. We were all online. I don't know. I'm fairly sure you didn't watch any of it. But, yep, very busy weekend and very exciting. Meanwhile, in the world at large, what's been going on, Paul? I've been out of it. I don't even know what the news is. Is it the case that Paul... Um, that HS2 is not going to Manchester, as I said. Right, so you're quite happy about that. You've been agitating proving, against... Well, I'm not happy about it, but I'm proving correct in my, in my prediction. Paul's been campaigning vigorously against infrastructure improvements, of course, for the last couple of years, haven't you? No, <laughs> no, is it I, haven't. Go... <laughs> no I, I don't haven't. know why. It's not going to go through your back garden, is it, in Blackpool? Certainly no. I don't think, I mean, if it came through here, it would probably be a fucking hovercraft, wouldn't it? But, of course, everybody has to be up for a uh, modernisation of, of our railway backbone. I said it, it wouldn't go through Manchester. It would eventually just be in a London-Birmingham connect. And that's what it's turning out to be. So that's the big news, I think, this week. Got nothing against Birmingham. No one is crying out to go between Birmingham and London, are they? That's the thing. Manchester, for goodness sake, we invented the passenger railway. Where was the first railway station in the world, Paul? Moot Point, Liverpool or Manchester? Possibly Manchester. Both. Manchester is the answer. I mean, you may ask, where well, did you go? Well, you might say the coal yard up in, up in the northeast, where the locomotion was first sort of run. That was the, yeah, but that's not a passenger railway. Correct, correct. <laughs> yeah, a- uh, Manchester had the first station. You went in there. Mm-hmm. You went up to the ticket desk. They said, where would you like to go? Hang on, I'll stop you there. The only place you can go is back here. It's the only station, mate. But yeah, still, like a, like a excursion trip, wasn't it? Yeah, it must have been. It must have been, right? Yeah, you just go out for half an hour and come back. Which you can still do today at pretty much the same railway station, I think. But if you're not going to go, if you're not going to bring your high-speed rail back here to Manchester, to the home of the railway, what are you doing with your life? You've failed. I don't know, but when George Osborne identified his vote-winning strategy called the Northern Powerhouse, and the first thing he said is that we need to connect Liverpool and Scarborough by rail, and the whole impetus for supporting HS2 development was that it was going to be a connect on the West East Spur... Uh, between Liverpool and Scarborough. I mean, if you if you go on train line or go on Google, Google Maps and clicking Scarborough to uh, Liverpool and see how long it takes you these days, it's still a five-hour journey, so. which is shocking. I, I, you know. Well, you're right. I mean, East and West is a disaster. It always has been in the whole country. Do you ever remember having to go down to 
Go to Cambridge from here. Yes, well, there's three ways to do it, isn't there? Oxford's fairly similar to, you kind of decide which corridor, which semi-diagonal corridor to go through. Train semi-diagonal corridors are never fun, are they? So. I just remember changing at Ely. Or you could do Birmingham New Street. In the middle of the winter, with a sort of Siberian wind whipping. Sure, now, I mean, some of, some of us might have enjoyed those that scenery, but... <laughs> What scenery? You, there's nothing to be seen for miles well, around. Exactly, you know, open. <laughs> Completely flat horizon. Desolate and, and crisp, you know. <laughs> Full of potato hey. farms. But yeah, yeah, so in that context, I don't think HS2 is the best use of the money, which is all I'm trying to say. Oh, there we go. Got However, in votes. for a penny, in for a pound, if we're doing it, then it should go to Manchester, so. Yeah, the, don't do it. I mean, save the money, sure, but don't do half a job. Precisely. You've got a better option to do that, but if we're going to do HS2, it needs to go to Manchester, it needs to go to Leeds, and it needs to go to Liverpool. And actually, it needs to go to Edinburgh and Glasgow, let's be honest about it. It, Exactly right. Well said. Well, there you go. Politics over. Paul, did you, at any stage, watch a movie that we could review this week? (laughs) I did, yeah. Yeah, Let me hold it. Well, are you asking me the name now or in a minute? No. Have you forgotten so quickly? Oh, dear. For we well, have to wait for I, the music. I watched the movie. I don't know if it's the right one. We have to wait for the music to play out. And then yes, we discover what terrible mistake we've made. <laughs> is that key music? I guess it is. Key music. I'm doing a good job, aren't I, of staying lively and animated as if I wasn't terribly ill. It's not the drugs. I'm high on life. This is Richard at 85%. <laughs> Paul, it's a long time ago now when I watched this movie. What is it? About three or four weeks. I, I, luckily, I made notes on this, which I don't normally do, as you're well aware. So it's called Psychokinesis. Not Psychokinesis. telekinesis. No. Well, Fairly recent. Thing. 2018. 18. Netflix original. A Netflix original and another of our Korean wave. Your suggestion, I think, as well. Not to blame. It was, yes. Now, we've seen quite a few Korean films that we quite liked for their genre breakingness, yes. Subtlety, their careful writing, you know, a whole lot of care taken about those movies that made them moving, emotionally engaging, subtle experiences. Mm -hmm. And so this film is by the guy who did Train to Busan, the, the zombie shocker Korean I don't think we've zombie. reviewed Train to Busan yet. We haven't reviewed it, no, but we've, I think we've mentioned it. Have you seen it? I think you said you've seen it. We've made tentative forays into discussing it, yeah. I have seen it at some point in my life, but I'm not sure when. It's a cracker. I don't know whether it's a fit subject for the It is a cracker, but it doesn't program. star Robbie Coltrane. <laughs> Paul, perhaps we should explain... All about this one. This film. Yeah. Right, okay. So, why? Well, <laughs> I guess it's best to go with the intro title, which is, if you've ever lived in East Asia, you'll know daytime TV is full of puff pieces on TV about two roving reporters going around with a camera uh, on the shoulder and eating in like little cafes and restaurants uh, and sort of jazzing them up and recommending them to, to the viewer. Okay, Is that uh, right? And, I, I didn't know that. Yeah, absolutely full of it. Japan, Taiwan, South Korea... Why? Yeah. Do they get China. kickbacks for it? Or is it just... The no, they've just got to fill quite a lot of TV with quite a lot of content. I mean, they do say, don't they, in Singapore, that eating food and shopping are the two 
the two hobbies. Yeah. There's recent research showing that East Asian brains are wired much more intensely for food than the rest of us, whether it's cultural or genetic, I don't know. But their response to food is, is, is very much heightened in terms of pleasure. And so food culture, foodie culture, whatever. It's a thing then. So and I think they do to fill the daytime TV. And it's characteristic. You get, you know, lots of weird sort of bibbly-bobbly sounds, lots of cute graphics popping, popping, popping up, and lots of presenters being kawaii or cute and kind of over-enthusiastic about the food. And, and lots of chew shots. And so we enter this movie with, if you like, a scene in a scene of these food re- restaurant uh, TV reviewers going to do a puff piece on our heroine's little... Fried chicken restaurant, is that right, yeah? Fried chicken restaurant, yeah. Mm. She ends up sleeping in the shop, doesn't she? She does. She sleeps in the shop for a reason. Oh. Which is oh, she was do- anticipating the next thing that happens, well, I, I Well, I think she, the TV review came about five years earlier, and it's, you know, it's now up on the wall, you know, a photo of her with the, the reviewers, and her little chicken, fried chicken place has become locally very, very well known. And it's in a row of similar kind of establishments. But I think for some time now, there's been a threat of the developers moving in and turfing them out. So workers arrive in hard hats. They start breaking the windows. And the girl, awoken by this noise, phones someone and she starts struggling with the the workers, the demolition team that have arrived. She's phoning her mum to get along and help, isn't she? Come along and lend a hand, I think. And her mum arrives in a little van thing, one of those miniature vans you get, mm-hmm. that can fit down back alleyways, and she drives it through the crowd of Somewhat these menacingly, yeah. And they get very angry, and they pull her out of the van, and as they do Oof, so, yeah. she cracks her head on the curb. Oh, yeah, just like a scene in Dynasty where they fall in the fireplace. It's a pretty violent beginning, isn't it? And I think we're led to believe that the mum can't possibly make it after that. It's mm-hmm. quite a crack on the curb quite sad this whole thing by the way this plot little shop developers coming to knock it down and redevelop it's like the plot of many hollywood films but usually ones where the heroes would be like bmx bikers or skateboarders yes or uh, it was all sort of (laughs) it was all metastasized into the movie up exclamation mark wasn't it oh i suppose so yeah which he I still was stand what they call a nail, a nail house. A nail house, yeah. 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 I, I think Up remains one of Disney's great works. It's an amazing movie. Apart from the kid, who's really, really annoying, but then he's meant to be, isn't he? I like the dog, especially when it can talk, because of the special colour. It remains a, a, a kid's movie of somewhat incredible emotional breadth and depth, I think. I will just say that. And it has a talking dog. And it has a talking dog. It does have a talking dog, (laughs) which isn't unusual. But this is a dog that's a dog. Not it's not a personified dog, is it? It's not. It's not pathetic fallacy. It's actually a real dog that can talk, which is a bit different, isn't it? What do you say about my pathetic phallus? (laughs) So, well, COVID does that too, too. So then we cut, don't we, to what transpires to be our heroine's dad, Mister Shin. He's up out hiking, very Korean, in the mountains with his sensible sort of Korean northern face wear on. And he's sensible so again, in contrast to a load of very subtly written Korean films, here, let's cut to the chase. We're about to see a superhero origin story. We are, yeah. Dealt with in a very perfunctory way, aren't we? 
Yeah. Because... <laughs> is it meant to be tongue-in-cheek and comical? I imagine it is, all the way through. I think so, yeah. It tells yeah. you something, doesn't it? Because what happens is... A meteorite strikes. Very, very. I thought this is quite a good effect. I, I was like, "Whoa, guys, it's going to be like really, really like art special effects." But it wasn't, as it turned out. I mean, it's how all super. I mean, what was the one we saw with the uh, four people? Three, you know, the three guys who get telekinesis powers from the meteorite. Oh, oh, yeah, what was that called? Oh gosh, I we'll have to cut this later. <laughs> Whatever that was called. Very good similar movie. story, isn't it? You get superpowers from meteorites, don't you? It's very common. Yeah. So, but this is interesting because the meteorite strikes, it fuses, and it, all its sort of slightly uh, fluorescent, blobbly stuff kind of passes through into the spring water. He takes a sip of the spring water in the mountains and gets his meteorite boost kind of thing that flows through his body. I mean, maybe we shouldn't be too mad about our water company's inability to clean up <laughs> our, our rivers. Because some, at some point, someone is going to become a superhero. This guy works as a security guard, doesn't he? Yeah, okay. In, in a <laughs> he bank, does. I think. In a very light today's call, I don't care if I get fired way. And the thing about people who don't care if they get fired is, don't care if they get fired is, there's a psychological wall that stops people disciplining them at work. And he's been like taking the, he works in a bank, doesn't he? So he's been taking the little coffee sachets for the, for the customers. You know, three or four a day for three years, obviously. He takes big rolls of the industrial toilet paper home. And, of course, he's been doing this for years because he's got that I don't care in Suicide's arrogance that stops people disciplining him. So he's, like, telling... He's, like... This is quite comical. He's, like, saying to the cleaner, this is what I do. You should do it. Too, and, of course, she's the green hand and she nicks the whole sort of box of coffee sachets and gets caught immediately. Now, and hold on a second, mm. Paul. Look, I mean, morally grey area, stealing office supplies... I'm not really sure anyone should be taking toilet roll from their place of work. That seems completely beyond the pale, doesn't it? Because uh, apart from anything else, everybody needs it in the toilets at work, don't they? Pens, you can understand how they get home completely innocently. And also, if you know they get home innocently, then you can take them and pretend you took them innocently too. So that's a real grey area, isn't it? Yeah, and pens are disposable items that, I mean, and they're cheap. They are bics. They're about, it's about 18 pence each at the moment. So. And the bic hasn't really changed since its invention in its it design. Would it still work without a little hole in the, uh, in the shaft? No, it wouldn't because the air pressure would reduce, wouldn't it, as the ink went down and it would start right. to suck the ink backwards. So it's an essential part of the whole, of the whole so thing. You don't approve of him taking toilet roll? I don't approve of him taking toilet roll, but the coffee, completely different story. Surely... If you're employing security guards, you want them sharp and alert and awake at all times. Mm-hmm. I mean, they should be supplying them with coffee. It should, should be a basic provision. I mean, in this country, obviously, I think it's legally, you legally have to give people tea breaks, don't you? I, you I don't do. Know that you, and there must be a kettle location. There must be some form of reheating arrangement in a kitchen area. You must have a separate kitchen area in every workplace. I'm not sure you have to give them tea. No, you have to give them the means to make tea, though. Yeah. Are you kettle and water? But if you're employing security guards, giving them instant coffee seems like a very sensible completely. And he wasn't taking it home, he was keeping it in his little drawer so he could make coffee at work. I don't think that's I'm not sure that's even morally grey. I mean, okay, so they're gonna say it was for the customers. Who goes to the bank for instant coffee? 
True. I tell you, nobody goes to the bank for instant coffee, Paul. Anyway, the poor little cleaner. She's very, very nervous about doing her job right. She does these things, obviously does wrong. She gets caught first time and he discovers as he turns, looks behind his shoulder that she's getting disciplined and threatened with it being docked for her wages, poor thing. But he doesn't seem to care that much, does he? He's kind of like, there's, I think what we're getting here is a sense that her dad, the heroine's dad, has kind of not given up on life, but can't really give two hoots about it anymore. I presumably he's separated from the recently deceased mum. Well, I guess she's going to have to phone him and tell him that his ex-wife is now dead. Is that right, yeah? Yeah, that's going to be, sadly, uh, a reckoning at a funeral, isn't there? But he's, after work, he's drinking soju to calm his stomach pain, isn't he? Which What's he's he got... Where's he stomach pain from? Well, Drink- because he was drinking spring water. Which That's presumably is, right. is not pasteurised or treated, is it, in any way? Or it could be the super magnetic effects of the meteorite. Well, that's true, but I still don't think you should be drinking spring water routinely, should you? It depends, like, how far upstream the, the sheep shit is, doesn't it, really? Exactly. You're going to get cryptosporidium, aren't you? If, you drink- if, the sheep shits, if the sheep shits a good few hundred yards up, then I would say drink spring water. Right, okay. If it's, you know, a clear, not babbling stream, tinkling stream. Listen, I mean, of course, if you're out in the countryside and you desperately need a drink and you're miles away from a tap and you haven't got any water with you, I guess drinking out of a spring seems like it's a good idea. Option. But do look for sheep shits up, upstream, if there's any. This is drink. the thing, right? We're not used to it, are we? We're used to very clean water. Mm-hmm. So if you drink water directly from a spring, you're almost certainly going to give yourself the shits. Yes. Aren't you? And if you're in a survival circumstance... You, that's better than running out, you know, dehydrating and Dehydrating dying. to death, yeah. yeah. But if you're just walking casually, that's a bit of a silly thing to do, surely. Unless you're used to it, unless you, if you drink it every, like, other week, I'm sure you'll be fine drinking it, wouldn't you? You get used to your, uh, what do they call it, your microbiome is going to be attuned to whatever Correct. it is that's in the water. Is that, is that your notes, Paul, that you're peering at? Like, yes. Good grief. <laughs> He's got stomachache anyway. He's taking soju to try and cure it. It's not going to work. We know it's magic meteor juice that's going to turn him into a superhero. As he's doing this, as he's grimacing in pain, he telekinetically disturbs the cup and all of the tables. The he notes tables. this, but I think he's too drunk to remember it in the morning when he wakes up, isn't he? Can I ask you something else about Asia, Paul? You mentioned mm. the Asian brain is wired to understand this is recent uh, literally i just read it maybe two weeks ago it's interesting recent recent research if true if true it sounds it sounds difficult to believe doesn't it Mm. why is it that many asian food and drink places have like plastic lawn chairs outside in a way you just don't see (laughs) i don't know the same way that i eat olives and tomato sauce richard apparently you know It's just a different culture that maybe you're just too small-minded to appreciate. No, I mean, the thing is, what you're talking about there is, I mean, there, there are two great cultures, very, very much street cultures, one in Japan, where they kind of push the whole wooden box down the street. It's got little wheels on. And it kind of opens up, like, was it Camberwick Green, the little machine that opened up to pr- produce a jewellery box? Right. Or was it, was it Trumpton? Great reference. I'm sure everyone listening remembers Camberwick Green. It was like a little box that opened up and revealed itself TARDIS-like to be something greater. So the box opens up, the canopy opens up, the two sides open up to make canopies for the rain. Uh-huh. The underside opens up to make seating shelves, and then the stacked seats can be pulled out 
placed around. So a little box that you can pull as a little horse cart kind of thing opens up to pro- to produce a stable cafe business. Usually business whereby fried food is eaten with usually sochu, which is the Japanese version of soju. Now, in Korea, it's something similar, except they tend to do it all in blue tarpaulin. Uh-huh. Outside, like a subway station, or outside, like an MTR or metro, like overland subway station, particularly in the boondocks, like where I lived, as you come 20 miles out of Seoul or 50 miles out of Seoul and you exit into your sort of satellite town, then around the station, there are the blue tarpaulin soju drinkeries. Which I think we met we met in in the Predator one, which is you know often often about very simple barbecue food served with more principle. It's more less about the food, more about the alcohol. And so they're constructed in a more ramshackle kind of homeless kind of way, if you like, like a make do homeless kind of shelter kind of thing in blue sort of I I can't describe it as IKEA tarpaulin. Do you know what I mean? Like the blue the blue sort of bag material you get from IKEA. Ah, uh, yeah, okay. Which is waterproof and that kind of thing. And that's another whole culture. Now, inside that, of course, they've got little fold-out tables, blah, 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 that presumably is put on some sort of sort of pusher trolley, some sort of simple trolley that they push away during the day. It's all done, like, with cardboard tables covered in wallpaper and then covered in sellotape, blah, 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 blah. It's very hard aesthetic to describe, but it's, it's very much a cardboard and tarpaulin kind of aesthetic. But it's very warm and very welcoming in there, you know, and it's a bit like a pub, really. It's their version of the, the, the kind of closeness that we would describe to the old-fashioned local pub kind of thing. Right, OK. The equivalent is the kind of bench seating you get at in a beer garden, then. You Something know, the, the like wooden that. bench tables that presumably... Kind of, yeah, but they're rather cumbersome, aren't they? You couldn't carry them around, agreed, absolutely. But someone looking at British like pub and eating culture might look around at all these tables that you see in picnic areas in parks and yes there's a common motif there isn't there common motif exactly and you might think wow who got the business deal for all of these wooden tables because they must be coining I, it. I think the closest <laughs> thing we have is like the food van the, the a1 label sure but those vans don't have tables and chairs Paul. they don't know i not in this country no. and they're not surrounded by other vans of a similar nature and they're not in places of high density where hundreds of people will go there regularly with their work colleagues straight after work kind of thing. So it, it's a real vibe, yeah, but you've kind of got to be local to enjoy it. Like Korean friends drive me down, Japanese friends drive me down. It's like, oh, not sure. It's a bit raw. Some of the hygiene start, the hygiene rating stars might have dropped off in the years kind of thing. Well, I think generally, as long as you're eating something that's just been hot cooked, mm-hmm. you know, off the, off the griddle, as it were, True. you're pretty safe, aren't you? Which is why yeah, I think street food is okay. Yeah. But, oh my God, I, I was watching a documentary about China. No, about, what do they call it? Like Blowing gutter out the oil or something. Oh, gutter oil, yeah. yeah. Is, that, is that what they call it? Or sewer it oil? It is, yeah, yeah. And this is where Chinese it's restaurants, yeah. I mean, they go out into the street about this. and they get cooking oil out of the bin. They'll open the bin. No, no, no out of the gutters, usually. They, they can do it out of the gutters, but I've also seen... The bin is safer, CCTV, obviously, yeah. CCTV, well, well said. CCTV footage of them doing it in the bin, where the, what they do is they, they push... They ladle. A, ...a colander down into the bin, so all the noodles get pushed aside, and you get a pool The principle is, do you, I mean, do you know the, the tool that 
extracts oil from olive oils. No. no. It's that? like a, a covered, a covered, what do you call those big spoons? Covered ladle. So right. it's like a golf iron ladle, i.e. it's got a cover on, and there's a hole on the upper side, yeah? Right. So when you push down, all the, all the solid matter kind of separates. The liquid rises up to the hole and falls inside the ladle kind of thing. It's a very similar principle. So what I imagine they do is they do it in a simpler way in China is they use more sort of ad hoc instruments. They push down on the gunk, the, the oil rises and falls into the sort of little ladle thing. Is that the Oh, idea? they just scoop it out from the middle. Yes. Oh, they scoop it out. So they're getting this chilli oil so that they can put it into the hot pot you keep getting me to go and have. Correct. <laughs> now, the actual... The actual Drain oil is more sophisticated. You have to really sort of <laughs> dig down there amongst the poo and the shit to get the, get the oh my god get the oil out. Yeah, but it's absolutely rife in China. It would seem from the videos I've watched. Yeah, I'm, I'm and the first time I heard about it because I first time I was, I was in China what 2014 or something like that, and the taxi driver was saying like I don't eat out anymore. I was like, what? He said because of the gutter oil, and I hadn't really heard of the concept. And this is in a part of China I've never been to before. And I was like, what's that? Is that some sort of, is that because it's poor around here? And actually, I was one of the richest, richest parts of China, I didn't realise. So I was in Nanjing, which is the historical sort of centre of China, the old capital. And he's like, no, it's rife, it's everywhere. He said, I just don't dare eat out anymore. We just get the frozen, we get the frozen dumplings in the supermarket and do it ourselves at home. So yeah. And so this, this taxi driver was a local Chinese a local, guy. He was, he was absolutely local, yeah, yeah. And he refused to eat out. Oh, my God. You kind of well, know. There's two things you know in, in old-fashioned China, maybe 20 years ago. You know when you've been tango. The first is you know when you've had alcohol that is fake and has methanol in. <laughs> you know. Yeah, okay. Is it like losing your sense of smell? <laughs> <laughs> it's, well, temporary blindness, you know. Talk about uh, rewiring your neurocortex. <laughs> <laughs> you know. And second, gutter oil, you know. Like... You know when you've had gutter oil. God, it must be rancid. Imagine like a televisual static going through your brain and having diarrhea at the same time. Okay, enough. Listen, we're talking about Korea here, completely different. Yeah, completely different, yeah. Completely different. But we don't need to worry about that. Let's instead focus on what (laughs) what a hero does. Right, okay. So So does he he get home and start practicing with lighters? He does, doesn't he? He well, he has, to g- he has to go f- for the funeral with his ex or his wife, his strange wife. Yeah. At the funeral, oddly, again, this is a BMX bandits type of thing, the guy who seems to be in charge of the redevelopment turns up. Yeah. Now, he's a hired hoodlum, isn't he? Really? We have to assume he's a local gang member and he's been hired by the... By the well, we only see that later, right? I didn't oh. figure that out. Anyway, maybe you figured it out. I didn't figure I, it's out. It's obvious, I think, from the way that they're giving grief money at the funeral. Right. Oh, because, of course, it was his goons who wound up killing the That's mum right, of the hats. girl who owns the shop, whose name, I think, is Rumi? Is Rumi, that right? yeah. Yep. She's obviously angry at these guys even turning up and chucks them out. They throw money at her and insult her kind of thing. We learn that the plan is that they're going to redevelop their row of restaurants and stuff and the covered market as well. I think it's it's like a a food court, isn't it? Yes, it's a food court. Turn it into a bland, faceless shopping mall kind of thing. Which, to me, it doesn't sound that bad, actually. I think that sounds like a good idea. 
Yeah. She's got a friend who's a lawyer who is representing all the commercial tenants of that area, all the residents, who are trying to oppose their... What do you call it when... Eviction. Yeah, eviction, yeah. yeah. There's a word, though, isn't there, when they buy land off you against your will? Oh, Oh, like a forced purchase, involuntary purchase. I don't know what you, I don't know what you mean. An involuntary purchase order, I suppose. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yes. So they're back defending. I mean, they're getting ready to defend their turf, aren't they? Because they know the goons are going to turn up with or without white hats and beat the living crap out of them. Yeah. The security guard's dad, in his anger, he kind of wafts a load of refuse, doesn't he, with his, with his mind powers. He does, yeah. And following that, he goes home and he's trying his powers out. He move, moves a bit lighter on his tatami mat floor, doesn't he? He's not drunk. He realises that actually he's got some sort of power. And comically, he has an idea to become a stage magician, doesn't he? He does, yeah. Because he's made all of the objects in his room begin to fly around. Uh And he asks his work colleague about how much money a magician can make. (laughs) His friend tells me about a famous magician making so much money every show. That's right, yeah. Now, all of the shop owners return to the covered market area. The lawyer addresses them and tells them what's going on. And they decide, or they consider, armed resistance against the demolition gang. But this this girl's dad tells her that staying to guard the thing is too dangerous. You should get back home, basically. She's angry with him for being a quitter, tells him to leave. He goes to a nightclub owner, tries to show his his skills. That's right. And he does a trick by lifting an He gets the job, doesn't he? I believe so, yeah. 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 So he gets the job at the Nore Bang or the KTV nightclub kind of thing. Right, okay. I think there's something going on with the lawyer whereby she meets up with the lawyer and, and he says, look, the autopsy isn't convincing about how your mother died. We can't nail him on that. We need your dash cam footage too. But I don't think this is particularly pursued in the story, is it? There is some kind of legal avenue they're trying to pursue. But also it's clear that the lawyer has got a bit of a thing for Rumi, doesn't he? Yes. He's into her. Her dad comes to see her, and he shows her a trick with a tie. Which just looks like a standard magic trick with this piece of string, doesn't it? <laughs> She's obviously not very not impressed. impressed. Yeah. He asks her to come and live with him, and she blames him for always running away from stuff and you know never sticking things out, not having enough grit, what have you. The thugs arrive... Now, this is a really good hold-off. 40 minutes in, we're only just getting glimpses of his powers, aren't we? We've had, like, the dustbins being swirled around. Mm. We've had the magic tricks. He does do a really impressive trick at the end, but she's got so angry that she ignores the amazing trick and kind of starts just cursing at him. So we've got a sense that, you know, he's got amazing powers to come. But I think they held off really well for 40 minutes before we get to see it, and I think we're about to see it. Yeah, well, he fights the thugs that arrive. I'm using the fat guy gets it, doesn't it, eventually. So. He starts tossing them around with his mind, doesn't he? And the fat guy gets it, yeah. So and he I basically that's, that's rescues his daughter and all, and all of the shopkeepers. Eventually yes. the police arrive. They all end up in the police station. We get some police station comedy. The thug boss and his assistant, they'd recorded all of this stuff on cam. That's right. And yeah. they're trying to make the case to the police that this guy is using his mind powers. <laughs> Obviously, the police don't believe it. It's unconvincing at best, isn't it? And it kind of, you know, the police, although I, they're, you know, they're supposed to side with the hoolums who are being, who are there to support the, the, the big construction. Developers, they can't yeah. do because their contention is just so ridiculous. It's a guy waving his arms and they're claiming it's superpowers. 
outside the police station, the shopkeepers are all jubilant. You know, they think they've kind of won a big victory. That night, the goons station guards around the development area. That's right. And they watch all these... They see these objects moving, don't they, in the street, including a van. And they all wind up piled into a giant barricade cars. Terrifying idea of some sort of possession or haunting. So, of course, (laughs) they scarper and say, look, boss, we don't want to do this anymore. We want to quit. Yeah, they're very superstitious about it, aren't they? Understandably. We get five minutes of slow bit. We get a dad and daughter chicken soup moment where they kind of have a bit of a heart to heart, something approaching a reconciliation. And then I think for me, we get the most interesting character being introduced, which is director Hong. She appears to be the daughter of ah, the boss of the company. You're right. You're right. But before we do that, I just wanted to mention that the girl, Rumi, we discussed this last time. I know it's ages ago, Paul. We discussed the meaning of Korean names, didn't we? Yeah, you said figurative, but I think you meant literal or actual. Oh, well, thanks. That was a correction. You say, have you got any corrections, Paul? Paul. And that was the one thing I want to say. Maybe it's a correction, maybe it's not. But what we're saying is, like, my name, your name, they do have actual meanings, but it's not apparent in the language that we speak. Mm. Whereas Korean names, Chinese names, Japanese names, the meaning is apparent in the present-day language. Right. That's the only thing we're trying to say, isn't it? And, And Rumi means, apparently, lowly and weak. Yes. You're right, though. We meet the best character, I think, in this. Amazing. Which, as you say, it's Miss Hong. She stayed the right side of Hammy all the way through. Yeah. It, it's turned up. It's exaggerated, but it's brilliant at the same time. I mean, she's like a kind of, of sort of dominatrix in a way, isn't she? Yeah, with a bit of Jack Nicholson female thrown in kind of thing. It's very hard to describe how unhinged she comes across and wild-eyed, but at the same time all sort of cosseted and corseted in, in a business personality. It's, it's really well done. It's really well done. She's got big femdom energy. And when the chief of the goons is explaining... <laughs> so funny. I don't expect it. ...that there's a Korean superhero kind of helping the, the, the shopkeepers, she says she will take care of the problem. Not before. What did she, what, how did she punish him? What did she do? I, well, you she, have to remind me. she presents some beautiful food in front of him. Says, no, try, try, try the beautiful food. He knows he's in trouble. So he's like, no, no, you're welcome. I don't want to try the beautiful food. <laughs> she says, no, try it. Try it. And then she brings in some goons of her own uh, and they beat the living crap out of him. Ah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, she records herself screaming, stop beating him up. Yes. So what, <laughs> this is the best bit. This is just her psycho energy. She's covering herself by shouting at the people she's paid to beat him up. So she's covered her own tracks. And then she puts another plate of food down as dog food on the floor where he's bleeding fruit from his mouth and asks him to eat that instead. It's exquisitely cruel and unhinged at the same time. It was just such a wonderful introduction to her character, I thought. As the shopkeepers are sitting down to eat dinner in the covered market bits in the food hall bit, a news item comes on about these strange powers that have been observed. Well, I think I've... she, I think, I think Director Hong is paid for this, hasn't she? I'm this sure she's pulling the strings here, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because it gets blamed on a secret <laughs> North Korean secret weapon. <laughs> Again, more comedy. The experts just don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. But that, that's an interesting thing, isn't it? Presumably living in Korea, especially Seoul is very close to the border, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's right next there. I mean, Incheon's even closer. It must be quite a common like paranoia to occur to people of South Korea that there may be infiltration and... All kinds of weird things. Well, there going is infiltration, on. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and of course, the tunnels. The tunnels are the ones that concern 
The tunnels. Tunnels into the national parks kind of thing. There's a few national parks up there on the border, so there's an idea that the Korean army have tunneled through. It could come running through and invade at any time kind of thing. There's all kinds of semi-legitimate concerns about what could feasibly or infeasibly happen. I mean, surely you'd be crazy to send your army through a tunnel because you could just blow it up, couldn't you? And your you army could. I think the idea is that they arrive by stealth through the tunnel and then right. distribute themselves through Korean society. Oh, right. Sleeper agents. Kind Sleeper of. agents, yeah. Another thing that Miss Hong has done, another puppet mistress type thing she's done, she arranges to have the dad with the superpowers get arrested for stealing office supplies. Yes. So, fully justifying the five minutes we just spent talking about it, the fact that he's stolen coffee sachets gets him arrested. Now, she does this for a reason, to get him away from the occupancy site so that they can go there with the baseball bats and beat up his daughter and and crow. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And she's also got another cunning, devious plan. She's going to get a desperate thug to confess to killing the girl's mother and she's going to close down his demolition company and start a completely new one. So this is more of a wonderful sort of calculating, scheming, unhinged, dangerous personality coming, coming to the fore. And the lawyer is calling Rumi now and telling her that it's all over. They've got to give up because the big guns have been brought in. And the police turn up in riot gear. For, Paid off to support the hoodlums, yeah. Let's face it, this is going to be a, a big pitch battle, isn't it? So we're set up for a huge battle, except what we're waiting for, which is extreme demonstration of Dad's metaphysical powers. Sorry, the hyper-realistic powers to come to the fore, uh, yet he's locked up in jail, isn't he? She's offering him work. She's saying, join me. <gasps> oh, yes, there's an amazing moment where he's being released. Okay, She knows that her hoodlums are already sort of tearing down the uh, metal sort of uh, junk barricade that's been put up in the standoff. And she's saying, like, you, I want you to accept. I want you to accept that you're a slave. Uh, yeah, yes. it's, it's yeah. a brilliant little monologue from her. And uh, you're going to do exactly as you're told kind of thing. And he kind of nods along, doesn't he? And then, at the end, he just obliterates a car. He does. He does destroy a car, yeah. yeah. There's a pitch battle in the streets, isn't there? Which the is crate- too complex to maybe go into detail, but it is pretty well choreographed. Crate of Molotovs explodes and stuff. Miss Hong has got this habit of leaving her business card. She gives him one. <laughs> she says that they're very difficult to get and that everyone would kill to get a business card of hers. Because yeah. that means that... He can call her up and accept her deal at any time. Certainly Japanese and, I guess, Korean culture, business cards are treated very reverentially, aren't they? You're yeah, I'm not to sure always... what the deal is, deal is now, but certainly in Japan, yeah, 20 years ago, without doubt. Yeah. You're supposed to always take them with two hands and read them carefully, rather than, as you would in a Western business context... Which is just take them and toss them on the table. People throw them at you in the West, don't they? I mean, it was quite a shock coming back to work in a business situation, that, you know, in England in 2006-2007. And people were literally like frisbeeing their business cards to each other. It was like, well, not sure how that go down at a banquet in whatever country. But yeah, I mean, if many of those countries, uh, you, you when you present them, of course, you turn them text facing down to yourself, facing right way up to the person you're presenting to. Of course. So, so all that kind of stuff with two hands, you know. And you don't let go until 
they've taken hold of it. And of course, when you receive that business card, you have to like pretend to take interest in it because you're usually at a banquet. Then you don't put it in your wallet, you put it neatly with the other business cards. In your breast pocket, maybe? No, you put it on the oh. table. I, I think this has oh, probably changed yeah. in 20 years. You know? But you put it on the table for more consideration during the dinner and then at the end of the dinner, you put it away in your business card holder, your pocket, whatever kind of thing. So there were lots of rules that you could easily offend people by not following. But I'm not sure how much... It certainly doesn't hold for the modern... The kids today, because they exchange whatever social media card. So you, they just ping each other's phones and get their contacts that way. Yeah, uh, of course. I mean, there was a period where Palm Pilot tried to replace the business card with an electronic business card, mm-hmm. wasn't there? Well, they very much use electronic business cards in, in the East these days, very much. So it's kind of a continuation, but a lot less formal. But yeah, I mean, I, re- I remember whatever, whatever jobs I did, there was also that thing where your boss would go and tell you to go and get business cards cut, you know, and you'd go and get 2,000 done every three months or whatever. 2,000 every three yeah. months? Yeah. I, mean, I don't think I've ever had 2,000 business cards in my life. You just hand out 2,000. You know, you'd go out, for, <laughs> you'd go out for dinner, hand them out. You'd go out for karaoke, hand them out. Go out clubbing, you hand out business cards, you know. Constantly. That must mean you end up with a lot of business cards. Yeah, just a ridiculous number of business cards. And you don't know who they are. No, it's not like it's not it's not not like yellow pages. I mean, this is the problem. Why don't these countries have yellow pages? Because there's no such thing as an alphabet, so what order would you put it in? That's one consideration. And then very soon, I think well, they missed the whole sort of Victorian plumbing of yellow pages, they? they went from business cards which essentially is like, it's almost like Masonic handshakes. It's almost like colour-coded clothes in, in a cathedral, isn't it? It's sort of monastic. It's very personal, isn't it? It's, it's almost medieval in its approach. And they went straight to the information highway, didn't they? And they skipped all that sort of middle ground of yellow page. Interesting. Huh. How do we get to this? I, th- there's a pitch battle happening, isn't there? And the goons are getting over the barricades, and it looks like they're about to kill our heroine, or something like that. All the shopkeepers, they fly up to the roof of the covered market area, don't they? And the hero, he arrives just in time. Just in time. With his magical powers, or why don't you call them his... To catch one of the shopkeepers falling from the the top of the building. And hoist the other ones across a gap as well, quite magically. He fights all of the thugs and cops with his mind powers, but his daughter gets snatched by a helicopter. No, it's not a helicopter. Actually, it's not a helicopter. It, I think it's a police container being hoisted yeah, by Yeah, that was crane. weird. <laughs> this is a bit that is a little contrived, isn't it, of all of it? And the lawyer has gone to the next building and is putting a ladder over to this one so they can all escape from the cops that's, coming to arrest them. That's where Dad helps them across, I see, yeah. Dad saves the daughter when she falls out of the police siege container because she'd saved one of the police who also fell out of it, I think. He uses his mind powers to fly away. He flies. Yes, somewhat stumbling at first, like we saw in that other movie. Uh, But he very quickly gains full Superman mode, doesn't he? I mean, presumably, I mean, psychokinesis, if I can move objects to myself, I can affect the relationship between the object and myself. That does imply that I can fly, doesn't it? I can move myself in relation to the entire world. Or does it not follow, necessarily? Well, don't know. I mean... It's implied, I, isn't it? I mean, the, the rules aren't very well defined, Paul, but no, I think the not. idea is if you can move any object, you are an object. You are an you object, yeah. So self-telekinesis. Yeah. Know, it's self-telekinesis, yeah. Self-psychokinesis, Paul. Thank you, yes. Uh, although I was going to look up the two terms, I haven't done so. There we go. They're the same thing, Paul. 
Same damn Apparently name. not. I mean, you'd think so. But well, to well, large, look it up. To large, I'm not saying if they actually are or not. I'm saying to large parts of the internet, they mean something different. I'm not saying those arguments are justified. <laughs> However, we have to we have to acknowledge the strong cultural force that says they are different things. <laughs> okay. Well, you come back after your research next week, Paul. Yes, I'll give you updates on on what these people think is different about the two things. But he's a good guy, our hero, isn't he? So he gives himself up to the cops, and we learn mm. that he got four years in prison for assaulting some chap. He gets released. He gets picked up by Mr. Kim, the lawyer guy who tells him on, on the trip back that he's marrying his daughter. It was um, obvious that they kind of had a thing going, wasn't it? It the, was. That had missed it completely. And they pass by the place where these shops used to be, which has been demolished, but it's an empty lot. Nothing has been built there, ironically. Despite the fact that the developers got their way, there's no big shopping mall. But it doesn't matter because Rumi has a thriving restaurant somewhere else, in perhaps a better part Superpower chicken. Dad turns up and sees Superpower Chicken and his picture, I think, as well on the title card. She sees him and says, you know, get to work kind of thing. And he starts serving beer with his mind power. (laughs) (laughs) And that is the end of a charming superhero story where our plucky shopkeepers save the day against the evil developers. Sure. So, I mean, in every superhero movie, we're going to have quite clear delineation of good and not evil but good and bad aren't we okay and i think we've got that here quite simple backstory a uh, no but this is not really about superheroism or is or is it or is it i don't know i mean like so many of our korean movies this is deeply in to do with class and class structure it is but like you say this reads like it kind of comes across as those american movies you know baseball patch kids against the corporation or like late 80s like sort of uh, progressive woman against the logging companies in brazil kind of movie yeah like for tv movie yeah kind of thing. yeah sort of but it comes across as a bit more real than that doesn't it really? but again just as in the host the thing with the water creature the host not the parasite yeah thank you in in this movie the hero and the heroes are all the working-class people, aren't they? The yeah. security guard and the shopkeepers and the restaurant owners. They and we might are... say the marginalised uh, yeah. entrepreneurial yeah. working-class here. It's really interesting that this class idea of bringing the, as you say, the marginalised, the lowest-class people up as the central figures in the stories, mm-hmm. it's a constant theme in these Korean movies. It is, but it? then Korea got hit really hard in the Asian financial crisis of 1970-2000, didn't it? Where if you lived in Korea at the time, you'd be shocked at seeing half a million salarymen sleeping rough on the streets kind of thing. Destitute in days. You'd be forgiven for thinking that these ideas are more North Korean, right? <laughs> you know, the hero of the working working man or woman. I don't know really South Korea. I mean, it's, it's many things, isn't it? I mean, it, it, Complex, it's, yeah. It's traditionally still very much a Korean society in many respects. Whereas you might say other Asian countries are less what they used to be, kind of thing. But it was, wasn't it the first like tiger economy that did really well in the capitalist explosion in that region? I well, mean, you know, the tech industry. Japan. But Japan, of course, before World War II was an advanced yeah, and yeah. developed. If not modern, it was certainly advanced and developed. It was medieval in some respects, from outside perspectives, but it certainly was advanced. So, I mean, excluding Japan for that reason. 
Although it was wrecked into World War Two, it still retained a lot of its knowledge and skills and uh, intellectual uh, manufacturing capabilities, at least. So, excluding that, I guess you would say Korea, South Korea. I don't know, South Korea stayed poor until, like, the 70s. I mean... But look, look at it now. Look, you know, Samsung and... The, oh, certainly, the, yeah, yeah. Big tech industries that have emerged from South Korea. But this is the other take, I think, that makes this movie have more real resonance than, you know, a progressive woman fights the Amazonian loggers kind of thing, is that the Chibols dominate. The four big Chibols dominate Korean society. They did when I was there. And even sorry, more the, now... The four big what? The Chibols, the big conglomerates. So Hyundai, Samsung... I'm not sure if LG's been bought up by Samsung. I'm not sure. And what have Hyundai bought? Hyundai bought the other the other car manufacturer. So in 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 a way now they're even bigger than they were before. I mean they dominate. Right. They dominate life there. So for example, your dorms will be built by Samsung. Not that you work for Samsung. Just Samsung build houses. They. It's not just yep. electronics they do. And it, it's quite unfathomable these conglomerates exactly how big they are and what pervasive role they play in whatever political economy is empowering in Korea at the time. So. so Mistress Hong, our dominatrix CEO, she is a pastiche of... I think those. so, yeah. I mean, oh, you could make a very good argument for you know, this being a direct metaphor for, for the powers in Korean society kind of thing. Because she makes a point about it. She's saying it's not the government that you're a slave to. It's these people kind of thing. These people who hold the strings to society. I think this is a direct reference to the power of the tribal. Yeah. Interesting. What do you think then, Paul? Uh, I love this movie. Like I say, it just comes across the you know the Genesis story, the simple backstory, the relatively it's simple. Dealt with, it's dealt with with a hand wave, isn't it? Yeah, bit of meteor water, and there you go. He's now. But that's how cartoons used to be written, isn't it? You know, so <laughs> so it's got that nice cartoonish aspect. The humor is very light and very playful, and it's just delightfully acted. I, I, like director Hong, I, she just blew me away. By how you could really, she could really amp it up, but yet not become hammy. It's just her wild sort of stares and her sort of objectionable sort of insights and just how unself-aware she is about how she is. It's just it's she just was really underused, if anything. Yeah, yeah, we could do with an entire TV series. I think TV yeah, we need a spin-off because she's just terrifying. <laughs> you know, she's just so offensive. It's brilliantly done. So, yeah, I love this movie. I mean, I did think the final sort of scene with the uh, with the police container vessel standing in for a helicopter was just a little bit contrived, how that all ended. But then, you know, we got to see some decent superpower effects and some otherwise relatively convincing kind of stunts and interventions by the dad hero kind of thing. So it's highly forgivable, the swinging kind of listing... Uh, police container vessel. I just didn't like the fact that it all hinged on that and it wasn't particularly convincing. That's my only main detractor from this playful and obviously quite ludicrous plot. So yeah, so I, I like the fact that it it kind of became, it was like real world career, but it still remained a highly fantastical sort of superpower movie, didn't it? Richard, what were your thoughts? I guess you liked it. I'm guessing you liked it. Maybe you didn't. I liked it, but in contrast, like I say, in contrast to the other career movies that we've seen, mm-hmm. Which are a bit moving and emotional. Yeah, this is much more whimsical, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. This comes across quite different, doesn't it? It it hits different. It's fundamentally light-hearted, isn't it? I think. Absolutely, yeah. Except it, it in Korean anti-Hollywood Korean style, we have a death of a near and dear one, the mother. You know, somebody has to die. Tragedy must occur. Real tragedy must occur in Korean movies for there to be Korean movies. Yeah. 
So how would we rate the acting? I love the acting. Dad, I thought, was really convincing as a kind of slightly disgruntled middle-aged man. Very similar character to the, what we see in, in yes, The Host. And, you're right, yeah. 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 But he suddenly sees opportunity and is transformed by it. I think he, he, you know, he took that central theme and, and carried it well. Director Hong, I can't fault. Uh, in fact, I give her plus points for everything she did. A supporting cast. I thought the lawyer was quite sensitively and well acted. The kind of, I wouldn't say creepy. He's not creepy at any point, is he? He's, but he's a bit simpy, isn't he? He's definitely trying to get into her pants. So <laughs> this kind of simpy lawyer is really well done. He's actually quite a nice guy. So yeah, everybody fitted into their boots perfectly. I'm going to have to go a nine on the acting. Nine. I'll give it a seven. It's okay. It is good. Y- you were watching with subtitles, I presume, Paul. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. You got the authentic Molay or. <laughs> All right. Plot then. Plot. I thought it was maybe where it was weaker. Six. I'm going to score it. It was entertaining. Uh, it certainly didn't confuse. It did rattle along at a nice pace. Just the ending, I thought, was a little bit contrived when we've got his superpowers. I would, I wanted an apoplexy, just a swirling tornado of his powers to happen. It never really happened. Instead, we get him sort of getting a swinging container vessel righted and put on a ledge. So six, I'm going to give for the plot. No big problems. Nothing to necessarily write home about that. It's comfortingly trope-filled, isn't it? As I yes. say, it's like a Saturday morning made-for-TV movie about defeating the evil developers. So, yeah, I'll give it a six also. Mm-hmm. Right. What do we do here next? What, special effects or...? Yeah, I think we have to. Which were good, actually. Really convinced them. Yeah, agreed. Not sure how they did it. Well, I guess, presumably, it was a lot of wires being painted out electronically, I would imagine. Ah. What's good. the famous Disney movie where Mickey has to clean up with magic brooms? Is it Fantasia? Fantasia, yeah, but famously an animated film, Paul, so they didn't yeah. have to do any wire work. No, they didn't, out, no. but I think this movie references it quite clearly in <laughs> two or three situations, doesn't it? Oh, really? What, what exactly how? What, the mouse conducting the brooms? No, the, what, which bit? Okay, so when he's got the like dancing this stuff, garbage. Dancing, the dancing <laughs> garbage, yeah. I think, it, isn't it almost identical to the sort of way they were dancing around Mickey and Fantasia? Pure Walt Disney. I, I don't know, Paul, there's probably only so many ways you can mentally control inanimate objects, aren't they? That's, I don't think Disney have got a case, that's all I'm saying. Oh, right. Uh, it just reminded me of that. Okay, so, I, <laughs> yeah. But I was saying that was very convincing, I thought, all that kind of, like, dancing garbage and when he's slowly... The SFX right. Exactly s- as, as real psychokinesis happens, yeah, I agree. Okay, which is just... just <laughs> I'm suffering a, a wonder wall of Richard's sarcasm here, okay, whatever <laughs> I say. Just, if I could just finish my point, okay. I thought it was all relatively convincing, and the way that he learned to control his psychokinesis, I thought the SFX built into that nicely, Richard. And sure. it, for me, okay. it reflected Fantasia from Disney too. So for all those reasons, I'm going to score the SFX a nice 7.5. I'll go 8 for the special, ah. special effects. I thought it was good, yeah. And we have another category, Paul, that you've decided upon? I, I haven't, no. Oh. Can you think of a category beyond that we should do is it a common Korean Korean pathos did it hit the Korean necessary tragic Korean pathos that we come to know love like, and expect from like Korean, Korean drama Korean people are dying people we don't want to die die does it tug at us is it emotionally I might go so journey? far as to say use the word melodramatic is it melodramatic uh, it, yeah. it was big wasn't it it was quite big yeah I'll give it a, I'll give it a six 
It certainly brushed its strokes in that direction. However, I just don't know. Is it a necessary component of all Korean movies? Just like, you know, they need Gochujang in, you know, in their noodles. Do we need that melodrama for all their kind of movies? Because I thought this was quite a comic movie and quite lighthearted. For me, as a non-Korean watching it, all the melodrama kind of didn't sit that well. Which was motivation. BMX Bandits probably wouldn't have had one of their mums die. <laughs> <laughs> in the opening five minutes, I think That's you're right. That's a very opposite way to put it, Richard. So, uh, as a foreigner, that is interesting, but at the same time, it's kind of like when you go to Sichuan and you have, like, hot chilli oil in your ice cream kind of thing. <laughs> okay, well, if you like that kind of thing. Well, they, in Sichuan, it's like, maybe they don't do it anymore, it's just 25 years ago. They had, like, little fairy cakes with beautiful blue icing that you bite into the jam and it's hot chilli oil kind of thing. So, <laughs> it's like, whoa, okay. Actually, as flavours, they go, they work, but it's just very, very juxtapositional. So the juxtapositional that I didn't find jarring, but I did find a bit kind of like, ooh, that's a bit blade scentish. you know. It's a smell that I've not smelled before. So I'm going to go seven on Korean pathos. You can't help but rub it in, can you, about, about my lack of sense of smell. I will go... Uh, I'll give it a seven as well. I'm not quite sure whether high is good or bad there, so a seven seems safe. And an overall score... I mean, it's nice, isn't it? But it's not an essential Korean movie experience. No, I wouldn't it? say... Like, some of them have wild us out, haven't they? It didn't wow me out. It was really enjoyable. It's fun. It's yeah. fun. Yeah, I'll give it a six. Above average. I'm going to go seven on this. Yeah. All right. All right. Listen, Paul. Good, but not great. Uh, don't begrudge it. Was not a waste of my time and doubtless will not be a waste of yours either. Paul, this month is October. <laughs> Famously the eighth month of the year. I think. Yeah. And it is the month of Halloween. I think we should it have is to do... The, it's, it is the month of fireworks. <laughs> Amazing yeah, here in Blackpool, we have the World Firework Competition. So, no... What? Yeah, we have the World Fireworks competition every weekend. Every weekend? Every weekend, you know, we have the heats, we've had the heats, we've got more heats, and then we've got a big final coming towards Halloween, I think. That but sounds actually loud. quite awful. <laughs> <laughs> but in Southport, two weeks ago, because, you know, they kind of compete with their air shows and their firework competitions, they had the World, the world Audio Firework competitions. Ah, and what, so what's the I could hear ones? really, really clearly, actually. Many people thought it was earthquakes. <laughs> uh, it was eight miles away as the crow flies. Yeah, so that's not necessarily visual, like in Blackpool. That is just very, very loud fireworks. Do they issue blindfolds for everyone <laughs> so, so you can no. judge it? Yeah. But Blackpool 1 is visual too, is it? It's visual. But it happens to be loud. It happens to and, be, yeah. And we'll guarantee that you, you get gridlock for two hours every weekend. Wow, very practical. Enjoy that. No, I was thinking of Halloween and the witching hour and all of that stuff. Yes. So it's horror movie month, I think, except for when it's not. And so I'm going to suggest that we watch a famous horror movie. Do so. British. British, even better. Eden Lake. When you say horror, do you mean comedy that actually isn't funny and isn't horror, horror at all, like we watched the other week? No, I actually mean... A scary movie. I actually mean a movie that's regarded as one of the bleakest. Really? Yeah, a bleak horror movie. Eden Lake. No redeeming well, luckily, qualities. I think I've just started watching this. So that's Quite by chance. Quite uh, by chance. We didn't plan that, obviously. No. Uh, so, next week, assuming we are both well, and Paul hasn't come down with COVID, because there's a new variant He's going He's wishing around. this on me. Let's, 
Thank you for listening this week. <laughs> next time it will be Eden Lake. Until then. Until goodbye. episode 10. Ciao for now. See you in the next one. Bye. Thank you.